There's been a lot of sadness for me this year. I sat down to make a list of all the reasons that I'm sad. And when I did that, I realized that my sadness list is almost identical to my anger list. And that really kind of reminded me that, you know, our emotions are, are complicated. And our anger sometimes is just a reaction to a lot of things that are just under the surface, things like uh, disgust or hurt. So I discovered that for me, you know, the reasons I'm feeling angry is really because of the things that I've lost. You know, I lost my mom in February, so I'm angry at the cancer, but really I'm just sad. I'm, I'm angry at the voles for getting at my corn, but when I, when I really think about it, I'm really just sad. I, I've, I've lost uh, the potential for a a cornfield to walk through in the fall, you know, when the uh, the corn is tall and, and the, uh, the stalks are tasseling and um, pollinators are, are busy. You know, there's just something about walking through the cornfield and the bees and the hornets and the bugs are just buzzing around your head. It's like this thing that I long for. It's good for my soul. Angry at our, our church situation. But, but really, I'm just sad that, that we can't be together. I, I know you, you all are feeling it too. I know that, that you all have your list. Um, a, lot, a lot of times as a staff, we, we sit around and we just talk about stuff, you know. Uh, we talk about the sermons and we were talking about um, our emotions of sadness and just staff members shared different things. Uh, I, I know Kara expressed deep sadness that, that she felt at the whole COVID-19 thing, and even uh, what happened with George Floyd's death. Y'all know that my wife, Chan, she, uh, she went to New York City to, to work in the hospitals there. Um, and, and I think she was somewhat overwhelmed with this deep sense of sadness that, that COVID-19 is, is causing people. When, um, uh, when I was coming back to Waynesville after dropping her off, we, we went to the Trader Joe's and uh, we were sitting out in the parking lot after we got groceries for her um, for, 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 for when I was leaving. Uh, she started telling me this story. Uh, there was this 98-year-old couple. And, of course, uh, this 98-year-old man, who was kind of like the, the, the life of the party guy, uh, Chan had, had talked to his daughter. And he was like, you know, he was completely healthy. He still had his mind, was still driving. Uh, he was... He was that guy who would flirt with the waitress in the restaurant. Um, you know, 98 years old, but just seemed like there was still a lot of life left. And his bride of 75 years, um, you know, like, like so many of those situations, um, the hospital staff has to shoulder this burden of not only caring for people and their physical health, but, but the emotional side of things too. So here she is holding the iPad. So his bride of 90 or 75 years uh, could see him and they could talk and she's just weeping on the iPad and saying, you know, honey, please wake up. And Chan's trying to, you know, gently wake him up and, and, and he never wakes up. Uh, we feel the pain of that. And, and George, the George Floyd thing, you know, there were a lot of protests and stuff after that. Um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of anger in the air. Uh, I think a lot of fear too. 
Um, but it really is grief. It really is a, a sadness at the, uh, the unnecessary loss of, of black lives. And as I thought about that, uh, you know, Carrie didn't go into all these details, but I'm sitting there in the pew in our sanctuary, you know, just uh, as a part of this conversation. And I'm like, yeah, I, like I also feel with all this, this sense of loss, I don't know, it's hard to put my finger on it, but uh, this idea of the American dream, you know, that uh, all people are created equal. And, and what's at the heart of this, this American dream is that all people have equal opportunity uh, to pursue a life of meaning and, and success and, and happiness. And I, and I think for me, it's just a, a really strong realization that um, that dream never really has been true, not from the very beginning. Um, so I asked a Native American friend, you know, and realized that they were never a part of the American dream. Um, we took their land from them. And we should just have to look at our African-American friends and, and remember, you know, that uh, this dream that we built was, was built on the backs of, of enslaved people. Um, so Becky shares some of her thoughts. And she pointed out the fact that, you know, a, a lot of times we have an, a, an aversion to, to sadness. Um, we, want, we want to bury it or, 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 or mask it or, or cover it up. Um, there, there's just this sense that um, we shouldn't be sad and, and we should, should just be happy. And, you know, uh, she, she, she talked a little bit too about our, our text when we were talking about our, our text from John chapter 11, um, that, that sometimes it's, it's really comforting for us to know that other people are sad too, especially when you look at, at, at the story of Jesus. Not only that, that Jesus was sad, uh, but that, that those who were close to Jesus and who were around Jesus, they also experienced deep sadness. And one of the things that we, that we notice about that is, is that Jesus doesn't take the sadness away. Uh, he actually shares it. So, so you know, um, in, in the, the portion of the story that we read today, it's a long story, so, so we just read a, a portion of it from, from John chapter 11. Uh, Jesus is with some of his closest friends. And if you... If you are familiar with the story throughout the New Testament, you'll notice that a lot of times, uh, whichever gospel writer is, is writing Jesus' story, there'll just be a little line that says, and then they went to Bethany and stayed there for a while, and then they went to Bethany, and on their way they stopped in Bethany. There's this consistent experience of lingering in Bethany. Well, Bethany is where uh, Lazarus and Martha and Mary lived, um, two sisters and a brother, they were a family. And they were obviously very close friends with Jesus. Uh, that's, the, that's the story. You remember Luke tells it where they're, they're throwing a big party for Jesus because he's the special guest of honor. He's the rabbi. He's the talk of the town. Um, that's that time when uh, uh, Jesus is there and, and Martha gets really upset because Mary's just sitting there doing nothing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Um, it's those friends. They were together on another occasion, John tells us having another uh, banquet, dinner party. It was about a week before Jesus was to be crucified and um, Mary comes in with this really expensive oil and she anoints him and uh, you know there's some reaction to that but there's some some beauty and some some intimacy in that story that just lets us know that you know Jesus came for the whole world but he had his people too. Uh, he was close to them. So in our text uh, Jesus gets word that Lazarus, his really good friend Lazarus, 
uh, Mary and Martha's brother, that he's really sick. And they, they asked him to come quickly. And they asked him to come because, you know, they've been hanging out with Jesus enough. And so they had seen a lot of people sick like this. And they knew that Jesus had power to heal and that, that Jesus would just touch people or speak a word and, and they would be healed. Um, well, Jesus kind of takes his time getting there. Um, he had been threatened in, in, in Jerusalem. I mean, there, there were some, you know, there were some, some issues there. Uh, but the disciples go with him and, and they finally go and they're getting close to Jerusalem and Bethany. Bethany was about two miles outside of the city of Jerusalem. And someone tells Martha, you know, the teacher's coming. And, and so uh, Martha goes out to meet him. And, and they're all really sad. In their home, there are all these people who are grieving and mourning because at, at this point, Lazarus has been dead and he's in the tomb and it's been four days. Uh, he's so dead that he's starting, you know, the, the stench is there. Um, and so Jesus meets Martha, uh, I guess out on the road. And, and it was interesting, Martha's comment to him, he says, she says to him, you know, Lord, if, if only you had been here, our brother would still be alive. And I wonder what that must have felt like for Jesus. I think sometimes that's the way we, we deal with our grief and our sadness. Um, it's somebody's fault, there's somebody to blame. And then she goes and gets her sister Mary, and then Mary comes out and some people, people you know, see her go and, and, and some of these mourners go along with her and, and she meets Jesus on the road. And I, she says the exact same thing. Lord, if you had just been here, our brother would still be alive. And I wonder how that made Jesus feel. I, I do know that uh, when Jesus saw Mary and, and Martha so sad and when Jesus saw those, their friends mourning, um, it says in our text, he was, he was deeply disturbed and sad and, and that Jesus began weeping. And some, some people in the crowd were, they had compassion on Jesus and it was kind of like, oh, look and see how, see how Jesus loved him. But there were others in the crowd who were like, this guy, <laughs> almost, almost like Mary and Martha's sentiment, you know, th there's underneath that, uh, don't you care about us? I mean, we told you he was sick. You took so long to get here. Uh, we know you could have done something. Uh, don't you love us? Uh, kind of thing. And, and some of the mourners seemed actually angry. You know, like obviously this guy uh, could have done something about this. You know, our emotions are, are really powerful. And, and sometimes they, they can be really dangerous too. Uh, sadness is one of those. You know, our, our sense of, of deep sadness um, you know, it, it can start, you know, from a wide range of just, just being really deeply disappointed in something or, or all the way to, to grief. Uh, there's deep depression in that. Um, there's darkness in that. And, and a lot of people struggle with that. Um, and it can be really harmful. And so we have to pay attention to it. Uh, we have to know what's going on because the emotions that, that go on inside of us, they they, they kind of drive or determine the, the behavior and the actions that, that go on outside of us. You know, uh, you know some point out that, that our sadness, uh, it's actually a good thing too. Like when we're aware that we're sad, um, usually uh, things slow down a bit. It's almost like a timeout uh, where, where we can uh, assess what we're feeling. Uh, there's also an, another benefit to that too in that, you know, when I'm sad, uh, you probably can tell that I'm sad. And if you love me, then, then, then you're drawn to me. And one of the things that I've discovered, 
um, it, it, that's a key component to how we respond uh, to this emotion. But it's important for us to be aware of it and it matters how we deal with it. So when Johnny was five years old, uh, his dog died. And he was crushed because his, his dog was his everything. They were like best friends, closest companions, went everywhere together. And the dog would sleep on the end of his bed. So he just burst out crying and um, was, was just so sad. And uh, his dad, trying to help, kind of awkward, bites his lips like, it'll be okay, son. Don't, uh, don't feel bad. We'll get you another dog. Uh, years later, when Johnny is in, in high school, he falls in love with uh, this cute freshman girl, and his world never looked brighter until she dumped him. Uh, then he just comes crashing to the earth, and uh, his heart is completely broken. He's a, he's a wreck, but mom comes to the rescue, and uh, mom says, it, it's all right, son. Uh, don't be sad. Now, there are other fish in the sea. Not too many years later, uh, uh, John's grandfather dies, and they were really close. Like, they, they spent a lot of time together. They would, they would go fishing together. Uh, he was at school when he got the news. The uh, teacher slips him a piece of paper, and he just sits at his desk in math class, and he starts sobbing. So the, the teacher lets him go, and he goes to the office, and then his dad comes to pick him up from school. When they get home, he sees his mom in the kitchen and, and she's just sobbing deeply. And his instinct is to go run. He wants to, to give his mom a big hug. And his, his dad just stops him and, and says, no, 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 um, don't bother your mother. Uh, uh, she needs some time alone. Uh, she'll be okay. I think a lot of times the, the, the messages that we send even though we might understand that it really matters how we deal with sadness. Uh, we want to bury the pain. Uh, we want to bury our feelings. We want to replace our losses. Uh, and, and we're taught to, to grieve alone. When Ross was in high school, he was in the high school musical. And one year it was Godspell. And so in preparation for, for this musical, we bought the CD. And so everywhere we went in the truck, uh, for at least a month, all we're listening to is Godspell. So I could, uh, you don't want me to, but I could sing you all the songs on this CD. Well, number 13 on the, uh, on the CD, track 13, is On the Willows. And uh, this, the song is, is actually um, a verbatim uh, of Psalm 137. And uh, Psalm 137, 1 says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, there we wept when we remembered Zion. Uh, the, the title over this uh, psalm is Lament Over the Destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, God's people, uh, they've been invaded, they've been, they've been carried off into exile, and they're in Babylon. And, and essentially, uh, they say, you know, on the willows there, we've hung up our lyres or our, our harps. Um, they, they, they've hung up their songs. They're, they're too sad. They're, there's too much despair. There's too much grief. They can't sing the songs of Zion. And yet, it says our, our captors, um, uh, they're wanting us to sing these songs, you know. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And their lament is, and what they say is, 
how can we sing one of the songs of Zion in this foreign land? How can we do that? And I think a lot of times that's our song too. Maybe we feel a lot of that, especially uh, in these days when maybe our emotions are a bit raw and, and we're feeling a little extra sad. Like we don't want to do that happy thing. So maybe that's my question too. How can we sing the songs of Zion, the songs of hope, the songs of, of God um, in, in times like these? And I think we sing them because we do have hope. And that's what Jesus brings to the story. Uh, Jesus sh shares our grief. We have this image burned in our minds of him seeing Martha and Mary and uh, he's, he's disturbed in his soul and, and he weeps, but he brings hope. You know, if, if you know the end of the story, he goes to the tomb and uh, he raises uh, Lazarus up and he's alive again. But you know, they're gonna have to grieve Lazarus again. Uh, that wasn't resurrection, that was resuscitation. <laughs> but Jesus has the power to bring hope. So, so I think about my, my sadness with my mom and I remember uh, what, what Jesus tells Martha on the road, on their way to that tomb. Uh, we say this at every funeral. Uh, it, it's in the liturgy. It's what gives us hope. Jesus says, I am resurrection and I am life. And if you believe in me, if you have life in me, even though you die, you're going to live. And so we cling to this hope that uh, mom's going to be with us at the, at the table. There's going to be this banquet. Uh, uh, there's great joy there. But you know, on July the 4th, that Saturday, it was Dad's birthday, we hiked to the top of Black Balsam and we, we threw our ashes to the wind. And I was sad that day. I miss her. But you know what happened right after that? We circled up at the parsonage outside, trying to social distance with our masks on. We had an Indonesian meal, one that Mom fixed all the time. And her sister was there and my, my brothers were there and my kids were here. And there was such joy in that circle because we were together. You know, one of the interesting complexities of our sadness is, is that sadness and joy have this, this very intimate relationship. Um, on, on the other side of our sadness is a, a depth of joy that I think sometimes is, is just really hard to explain. And it's full of hope uh, and, and it's full of life even when everything else seems like it's desolate and dying. Uh, there's hope, and we live into that. So I planted more corn. I was like, all right, voles, have at it. Because I knew there was joy just in planting those, those kernels of corn. And I went out there the other day, voles hadn't touched it. I have four rows of corn, and it's already two inches high. And the joy in that was just amazing. And I think about um, the sadness and the grief that we're experiencing these days with this whole American dream thing. You know, like I can feel sad that really this American ideal, this dream of equality for everyone and opportunity for everyone, even though that's never ever really been true, that dream is still there. And you know what has brought me great joy these days? Is connecting with, with friends who, uh, uh, who are people of color and the phone conversations and the time together and these conversations about what can we do what can we do about this thing to make this dream a reality? And I find myself hanging up the phone or leaving a meeting or 
uh, discussing this idea, and I feel excitement, and I feel joy, and it, and it grows out of this sadness, and it gives me hope. And that's my prayer for us today, is that we'll lean into this thing, and that we'll know God is with us, Jesus is right in the middle of it, but we're with each other too. Amen.